Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged. We really have nothing else to talk about. We kind of said that we didn't want to discuss the uh, coronavirus anymore. Yeah, we broke the rule last week. We so, said we're not going to talk about coronavirus, and then the whole episode was coronavirus. So this week, we're really going to try Where's the over and under? To. How many times do you think you're going to say coronavirus or something like that through the episode? I'm, I'm going to try to limit it to like... Uh, 10? <laughs> no, I'm going to try to limit it to 4 or 5. We're going to discuss things related to, but not specifically yeah. like coronavirus stuff. I think we're all virus out i mean it's like yeah everywhere. i mean you have your medical experts and yeah. there's other people to listen to that are more yeah, yeah. so than i us. mean i'm not gonna get into details of predictions and all that stuff i mean we made i always say we're not gonna do something and then we end up doing it so thanks for your patience but um we're gonna be more disciplined this time and try to um just kind of discuss life and the pursuit of happiness how's that for an intro wow that was very deep all right well let's get started all right welcome back i'm here with david david fly there's a fly in my face a all fly. right we're keep okay. going one take all right no fly no cutting nothing um so it's been a while now since we've been in this kind of transition period. It's been uh, about a month. It's been about a month, I think, yeah. since we started taking things more more seriously everywhere, especially in the U.S. And um, I was just thinking, I've been thinking a lot for the last few days. Obviously, I have a lot of more time now to, to think about stuff that is not work-related. But uh, it's like this is like the new normal. I keep saying, is this the new normal or something or whatever? And uh, it's funny, the other day I actually listened to I forgot which podcast. We're going to get into that later. But uh, they were saying that, you know, the typical conspiracy theories or things when they say that this is like a life is like a video game, you know, like Moscow also says that. And we're all being like part of a game that somebody's playing and like saying. A simulation, you mean? Simulation, exactly. And uh, thinking this is like part of the simulation that whoever is playing the game of us being the, the pieces of the game decided to just do this pandemic and see how the how humanity well, reacts. if you want to get into conspiracy theories, I have a buddy at the Pentagon <laughs> who told me... <laughs> you do? Yeah. Everybody has a cousin or a friend of a friend or an uncle who works at the Pentagon or in the White House CIA. or somewhere in there, and they have secret information yeah, yeah. that this is all a grand conspiracy. Uh, big plan. Actually, uh, a good friend of ours sent us a video the other day about this being a... Uh, what did he call it? What did they say? The grand, grand conspiracy or things to come or something. It was interesting. But uh, yeah, what about if this was the part of the simulation? Like, you know, the, the simulation, the video game of life. And then whoever is playing this game, kind of like in the uh, HBO series uh, Westworld, mm. it's just basically saying, okay, we're going to do a, a worldwide pandemic. Forget this country or that country. And then we just do it for everybody and see how they react in confinement and all that stuff. I honestly do think we live in a simulation. You do? Not that type of simulation where it's like a manipulated video game, not something like that. But that's a topic for a different day. I didn't want to get into that. I think we probably do just based on the fact that we're not far from creating our own simulations as far as... Anyway, okay. I don't want to get into a whole topic. That's a deep conversation for another day. Um, But... How are you doing? How's life? What, what, uh, I'm, I'm, we, you, we joked before the podcast, 
we were running a little late and you said, I've got places to go, people to see. And I said, oh, really? Because <laughs> things to do, you can't do any of those see, things right now. Places to go. I'm like, wait a minute. No, I used to say that all the time. Now I got nothing to do, no places to go, no people to see. <laughs> no. But honestly, I would just say that this is the new normal. I don't... I need to be careful wording this, but I don't really dislike it. Obviously, I dislike the virus and all these things, and, and obviously the situation is chaotic and, and very sad. But on the work side and on the lifestyle, I don't dislike it too much. I mean, I I'd work, work is slower, obviously. We have a lot of clients that are very active and a lot of clients that are unfortunately not so active because we do a lot of hospitality and things like that, and, and it's, just, no, it's just a fact of life. But... Uh, I actually enjoy the fact that I can work hard or work normal basically in the morning. Like I'm an early morning person. So I wake up well, six, seven o'clock, I'm working. But then by noon or one, especially now that we are three hours with the East Coast, uh, it's like four o'clock or something. East Coast, most of the people are either, obviously half of the people that we work with are kind of also working from home, whatever. So things really slow down. And I really just go on with my life doing other stuff, you know, meaning... Not not going anywhere because I'm basically staying in the house, but I have a lot of things that I like to do, you know. So I'm finding this kind of like, a, it almost feels like like I'm working part-time, which is Well, true. these are times when, obviously, you know, it depends on your position, right? As far as a business, obviously, on the individual level, you know, people who work in certain areas, retail if anything physical are hurting majorly right now. But as far as the businesses, forget about more the individual level, but the businesses, now is when businesses like ourselves, who we we are, are very cash flow positive, we don't spend ridiculously, we have money in the bank for rainy days. Lower now is when like yeah. we are benefiting because it always is, and I struggle with this too because it always is uh, hard in good times to uh, because uh, let me put it this way: a lot of people, and it's this it was always crazy to me, but people really smart, smart people said having cash is stupid because it's, you're not putting it to work and you can make right. more money. And okay, in good times that might be true because okay, yeah, if you have cash, obviously that's not being put to work, whether it's in investments or reinvested in your own company or whatever. A lot of people, especially over the last 10, 12 years where things have been really good, have said, oh, you don't need much cash, just invest it all, invest it all, you know? But now all of a sudden cash is king and companies who have lots of cash are doing just fine. And we're in the fortunate position where we have not, like a lot of companies, been taking all of our cash and just spending it on, on fueling growth and trying to cut margins in favor of growth. And because we've done that, we're in the fortunate position where the even though our top line revenue has shrunk because we have yeah, clients obviously. who, yeah. especially <clears throat> like you said, on the hospitality side, have cut their budgets. And, you know, I think every business is going to be affected or the far majority of businesses. So even though our top line revenue has shrunk, we're not necessarily panicking or really feeling mm -hmm. the pain or anything because, one, we, we have diversified. So we have other clients who are doing great, but we're not we basically are not, we don't have a burn rate. Okay. We're not like, right. Oh, we have 18 months of cash left before we're out of business. Like right. a lot of companies are or, in that position. They wish they had 18 months or even it depends. It depends some, on the business. Some companies have 18 days. Right. And that's the trouble. But, so that's when, 
I think that people are realizing, oh, you know what? Having savings is a good thing. Oh, being prepared. That, and that's at the company level. That's at the company and at, at the, the personal at, level at too. At the personal level, I have a lot of friends that, you know, they're always like, I mean, I, it's, a, it's a delicate balance between saying, oh, you only live once, you need to have fun and this and that. And they always live like it's the last day of their lives, you know, I'm buying this and buying that. And then they don't bother to change or to save money for uh, situations like this, you know. And now all of a sudden they're all in a panic, right? It, it, because they, they don't so have enough. To, they don't, first of all, there's uncertainty. They don't know what's going to happen with their jobs if right. they are not temporarily unemployed or furloughed or or basically they don't know if their business will survive. And secondly, they don't even know how long it's going to last. Right. So I mean, one of the, you talk <clears> about the uncertainty. One of the things that pains me right now is, you know, I'm on the phone with clients every day, and they all basically ask, "What do you think is going to happen?" It's like I don't know. You know, unfortunately, normally, you know, people come to us because we give advice and our thoughts on things. And I give my thoughts, but I, we're in uncharted territory. So as much as it pains me, I just keep telling clients like, listen, I don't know. I can tell you what's happened so far and I can tell you kind of a rough range of things that might happen, but I just don't know. I don't know. I don't either. I, in fact, I, I like to make all predictions over time, but obviously I've been changing my, I mean, you corrected me. I didn't think from the beginning that this was going to be so serious. I mean, you and I placed a, a bet online on, on, on video. On the way. video. You can go uh, back. It was uh, about when a month did we ago. record that? That was in February. February sometime. 27th. It was the end of February where... But I would, this is the craziest thing. We talk about exponential growth. So our bet, if you didn't see it, was uh, at the time, I think the U.S. had like 50 cases or something like that. Yeah. And uh, it was just, just starting. And I bet you it was, oh, I remember it was February 27th yeah. because I bet you that by March 27th, exactly a month, that the U.S. would have over a thousand cases. And that was our bet. And you took it and you were wrong. But even I was wrong because I said, okay. And I was being like conservative but i said okay let's say a thousand cases because at the time remember we had like 50 it seemed we have 50 but really 35 or something of those were in a cruise ship yeah uh that that so 15 were the ones in washington which is the only state so even though i was right in the bet i was so wrong grossly underestimated on yeah. the underestimated side because by march 27th we didn't have a thousand we had a hundred thousand yeah yes yeah. so so the thing is that you know, I've been making predictions and I still make predictions all the time, but people say, oh, yeah, two weeks ago you said this. It's just, yeah, I have more data now. I have more information. I have more, I know more what the government is doing to prevent it, what the different governors are doing, what we are acting. You know, they promise these things and they don't have them yet or they are acting with this over part. So, I mean, information changes over time and that's, there's nothing wrong with changing your projections. Now, I, I, I still remain optimistic that this is going to end. When? I don't know. But I think right now, my prediction is that the summer would be better. Now, it's not going to be like we're going to go like all of a sudden like, okay, this movie's over. Everybody get out of the theater. No, it's, it's not like that. Um, it's going to be slowly like opening the gates a little bit and saying, okay, we're going to relax the rules here. Uh, let people go out. Maybe we'll still gather. You know, don't allow gatherers of more than 10, 15, 50, 200, you know, expanding like that. See how things progress. See the, because it's so new that we don't even know if people can be uh, positive again after overcoming the virus or obviously there's no vaccine yet. It's not going to be around for like That's, that's a years. good thing. Good topic that I wanted to mention that I have no idea, but the thing is, like, okay, everybody talks about flattening the curve. 
And the idea is that everyone's going to get it, but we just need to make sure, or not everyone, but a ton of people are going to get it. So we need to make sure that it doesn't happen all at once and it happens over a longer period of time. Here's good coffee, by the way. Yeah. I've... What's the brand name? Oh my gosh, I feel bad. I should shut them out. Anyways, we'll uh, we'll put true, a true coffee or something. Or? It's uh, I forget. We, we, it's a startup. I just ordered it. And, I know. Uh, I made some before the show because I wanted it. It's to good. Give it a it's shot. good taste. Yeah. We'll give him a shout out next week. I promise. Uh, oh, that reminds me of another DTC that I needed to review. I'll give it in a second. Tushy that I mentioned a few weeks ago. Oh the yeah, bidet. yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's okay, toilet paper open. shortages. Yeah, yeah. All right. Too many things going on. Um, what was I saying? What were we talking about? Oh my God, you forgot. Uh, oh, 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 the flattening of the curve. So, okay, let's say we get to the point where everything's shut down and then things start. Uh, basically, the new cases per day start going down and we have more recoveries. And let's say by uh, May, June, that starts happening, right? But does that mean we just open everything back up? Because then people are going to just get sick again. Right. So at one point... Like, are we talking about, because the reason I say this is because I have a little bit of insider information on oh. the Amazon side of things, because Amazon is not stupid, and they have their projections, as their own internal projections for the virus, and I have internal connections at Amazon, and they don't think, because I was asking on the business side, because for those who don't know, uh, FBA, which is what basically allows products to be prime is shut down for non-essential items. And when I was talking, he said it might be till Q3, Q4 that we basically reopen FBA and that the internal uh, team at Amazon is thinking that this is going to last for another at least quarter, three, four months. Well, we think. need to define this. Like you said, this is going to last. And this is, again, the information that we have. And, and I will get it as into, far as when, into my the sources is, and everything later. But When do things open up to the public as far as, like, okay, people just are normally going to restaurants again, movie theaters, physical retail, things like that. When does that reopen back to normal again? Two, two things, two, two key pieces of data or factors there. One is testing. Yeah. And number two is um, the number of emergency cases. Basically, what is killing the system right now is, again, the curve is so high that the emergency rooms and the uh, intens intensive care units, the ICUs, are overwhelmed. And that comes with not enough uh, ventilators or respirators or uh, masks and all the, all the equipment that is needed because they are not used to this huge flow of people coming at the same time. So that's one of the factors. So the other thing, obviously, the testing. The more testing we have, obviously, we're going to have more confirmed cases. That's fine. We just have people there that are asymptomatic, but then if you do a test, they will show that they are they have the virus. And they are working on, like, I may have it. I doubt it, but I mean, I haven't been anywhere. But uh, I may have it, have no symptoms, and then I go around, talk to somebody, and then I give it to them. You know, so... When testing becomes more available and the testing is faster, which apparently now there's a test that is starting to be distributed that is like a five to 15 minute test, five minutes to let you know if you have it, if you're positive, and it could take up to uh, 15 minutes to, to be negative, you know, to double test or double check that you're negative. But anyways, when you have these uh, rapid tests, then I wouldn't be surprised if you start going out to restaurants or public places, airplanes or whatever, and they test it. 
they say, we're going to make sure that you're not infected. I mean, there was already places when we started having this quarantine thing, they were actually taking people's body temperature and everything yeah, to make sure they I, don't have a fever or anything. In, so, I think in Korea and Taiwan and some other countries, they are... Uh, they're literally ma giving you like wristbands yeah, or things like exactly. that, that you, if you're tested uh, right. and you're clear, right. that you can wear this wristband and go out and be fine. So right. maybe we'll do something like that. And people that are either, they overcome the uh, the virus and they become basically immune, if that is proven that to be the case. And then if you are tested and you are negative, then they start relaxing the quarantine rules for those people that can go out. And then you're surrounded in a restaurant by people that are, you know, uh, negative and other stuff. So like I said, it's not going to be, it doesn't seem like it's going to be like, oh, we're all clear. It's going to be little by little relaxing the rules. Just like now, actually, we're not imposing like a full lockdown altogether. We're just going, depending on the cases, some states are more serious than others and they're kind of leaving the governors to make those, decision, those decisions in the city stuff. But I think it's going to be the same thing. So normal to the way we were before, it's going to take a while. Now, rules are starting to relax and allowing hotels to start opening and restaurants to go opening because one thing that we cannot have forever is business shutdown. I mean, that's just not going to work because then you get into other issues and, and you know, there's also psychological issues and are not economic issues. I mean, people lose their jobs to start quarantine forever. I mean, that's just no way to life. And people start rebelling themselves and saying, fuck it, I'm just going out, you know. So you don't want to get into that situation. So... But as soon as we start flattening this curve, um, things will get better, you know, and, and it'll be slowly, like you said. I mean, Amazon, I'm not sure how your sources and FBA is basically. I just think to it's ship. a good reference point because these guys are you talk about skin in the game. Amazon has ultimate skin in the game. They benefit from having prime shipping available for all these products, but they just can't do it. Right. And so for them, they have their own internal models. And they're looking at basically they think that it's going to be multiple more months of this. Right. That but like keep in mind that people who think that this is gonna like life's gonna be back to normal in June, I think are just No, in it's denial. not gonna be it's not gonna be I mean it may start coming back to normal like in May, but very slowly. You know, it depends. It depends on the cases. But like if you consider normal what we had like two months ago or after New Year's, no, that's gonna take a while. Now you consider the new normal like, okay, we're going to keep a little social distance. We're going to keep a little uh, relaxation. We maybe not allow gatherings or large groups. Maybe we have more testing and we can have more people that are tested negative to kind of start going around with their lives. People go back to work in a more controlled environment. Again, I, I, I hate this comparison with the flu, even though I used to do that. But because this is unknown... Everybody gets the flu and we control it and it kills 60,000 persons a year. Yeah, but the difference is the flu doesn't is hospitalize well, exactly. anywhere near the rate that this exactly. does. That's the big exactly. difference. No, it doesn't do it. And it doesn't kill, obviously, either. But well, it does. But it, no, I mean, it, it kills doesn't 60, kill at the same rate, though. Well, the difference is that... Because it kills 60,000, but keep in mind, I think they say that 70 million Americans get the flu every year. Right. So it only kills 60,000 out of the 70 million. Well, if but 70 million people got coronavirus, way more than 60,000 would die. No, of, of course. But the thing is that... Now we're very familiar with flu. We expect it every year. Right. It's, it's, it's a known an, unknown. Exactly. Whereas that's an, what I was saying when we had our debate right, was right. that the coronavirus is an unknown unknown. Exactly. But then and we know more now, but we still don't but know that's the yet. Point. That's the point that in six in six months, if this started like in February and you add up to like as the summer approaches, we'll have six months. We'll have much more data. We'll have much more research. All the major pharmaceutical companies are coming out with different 
um, short-term solutions, mid-term solutions, long-term vaccinations, all that stuff. So <clears throat> eventually it will become part of like the flu vaccine. It'll be actually incorporated. And then every year people just, I mean, like I said last time, I mean, H1N1 is still killing people and affecting people. It was a big pandemic also in 2009 and it killed and affected a lot of people. It was actually deadlier than this one. Not so infectious, but it was deadlier. Well, you know what's funny? But, but yeah. the thing, one second, but the thing is that now we're familiar with it and we know about it and we have solutions for it. So it's just a matter of controlling the, the, the tsunami that we have now. So it's just a little bit of a surf and we control it and we control it. You know what's funny or a little scary is that you know that there's actually a second flu that's going on right now that is really bad. Uh, but has been totally contained by accident because of this. There's an African swine flu that started going around. It actually hit Poland really bad starting in February, but it hasn't spread throughout Europe because of all the containment that's happened. And nobody's talking about that flu. Yeah, well, it's but it's actually really bad. Like they were comparing it to H1N1 as far as the deadliness. Right. But because we shut everything down for coronavirus, this flu that probably would have gone through Europe and been pretty serious has been pretty much contained. Well, but you know that normally at this time we talk about flu season or before, like after Christmas and all that stuff, flu shots, some vaccination of flu season, all that stuff. There's nothing about flu season this year. Mm -hmm. And well, again, right. But actually there's fewer cases of well, flu. I mean, did you see the chart of total U.S. deaths? Uh, for what? Like total deaths of everything. All cause deaths. In All the cause, US. like even traffic accidents, Everything. whatever. No, I have no idea. Oh, it's the lowest it's ever been in like yeah. 20 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking at that too. I wasn't looking at that chart, but I was looking. It was showing March yeah. was the lowest it's been in like 20 years. Uh -huh. And they said April is going to be like literally no, it's going to be the lowest death I was, because I was looking, so many people are not dying from flu, right? not dying from car accidents, not dying from lots of things that happen right. in day-to-day -day life. Well. Exactly. That because now that's, that's the silver lining. Do the means justify the ends? I don't think so because you basically are destroying an economy. But right. uh, that is one silver lining. I, I looked at something similar in Europe because they are like two weeks ahead of us on quarantines and lockdowns and all that stuff. And I did see that. Like they were saying that March was the the uh, the month with the lowest deaths on record due to uh, traffic accidents, fatalities, yeah, same thing and here. and injuries. Um, basically, just just not only deaths through car accidents, but also severe injuries through car accidents. Everybody's locked down, nobody's driving. So if you have like, I think in Spain it was like 100 dead people a month or something in, in traffic accidents, highways, whatever. It was down like, to, I think there's a zero actually, as far as deaths. And then well, even crime is down a lot. Crime is down. <laughs> people aren't no, committing crimes. Not only They're that, afraid. yeah, well, even, yeah, that's true. Gang members, like typical gangs that are just going out, drugs, whatever, it's locked down. You cannot go out. I mean, when, when everybody is free to go wherever they want, they can go on the streets. And now they can't. Because, I mean, I don't care whoever you are. Right. I mean, you're basically not allowed in the streets. They'll chase you. I mean, it's like ghost town. So that is down to uh, pollution is hugely down. I mean, talking about improving yeah, the environment. We just did it. I mean, for China was locked down to in most of the industrial regions. And then pretty much all major industrial cities in Europe from totally France, Spain, Germany, uh, England, you know. So pollution is way down, even in the US, uh, fuel consumption, all that stuff. So there's a lot of now, good things that are happening. Obviously, it's still 
a net negative well, of by course. far. Of but, course. you know, there are silver linings. But that's always, uh, I mean... Uh, and obviously, listen, there's lots of, on the business side, there's lots of businesses that are doing great right now. Yes. I, uh, it's funny because uh, we were going to talk about some of our new habits that we've acquired. And uh, one thing that I've, you know... I, Typical things that you always use the excuse for of I don't have enough time. Yeah, I know. Now I don't have that excuse. So it's like I've been exercising more. I've been meditating more, which I've never been a big meditator, but I've been so overwhelmed that I said, you know, I'm going to start. Me I, I meditated for an hour and a half the other day. I've never done Jesus. that. I've never done that in my life. For me, meditating for 20 minutes is like I can't do it. And I sat in a room with my eyes closed for an hour and a half and it flew by. I couldn't believe it. I looked at my phone to see how long it was. I thought it'd been maybe half an hour and it'd been an hour and a half. Yeah, no, I know. I noticed that too. Yeah. But, and then the other thing is reading. And so one thing I wanted to do was I, I always want to read classics, but then as far as like classic literature, but I never have time to do that because I want to read like I know, more relative books and, to me. Yeah. And so now I was like, no, I'm going to read classics. So I've been reading A Tale of Two Cities and it's so funny because I, I mentioned it on a, to a client yesterday on the phone and I said, because she was asking me, you know, how we're doing in our business. I said, it really is, you know, Tale of Two Cities is like the famous line from the opening of the book is it's the best of times. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And uh, between Paris and London, because Paris was going through the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, really, for depending on the business you're in, it is the best of times or the worst of times right now. Some companies... <laughs> Are, I mean, especially some of our e-com clients, even ones that I didn't even think would do well. Like, I won't name names, but like we have a client that sells uh, like premium betting and stuff and their sales are through the roof. They sell high quality premium betting, which I was worried because I was like, I don't know who's buying betting right now. That is like, mm, well, think about it. They're staying home. I know, but if people are cutting time. costs, you say, do I really need this luxury betting or can I just go with the generic? Their sales are through the roof. It's unbelievable. Well, I do we know. We have cleaning supply. Comp Obviously, that one's through the roof. I mean, we have clients who are doing super, super well. well. We're talking about but obviously, on the other side, our the hospitality clients are yeah, shutting the, the down the finances. Hotels. You are fortunate enough to have a secure job in some way, you know, like you're not for a while or something. You're actually saving a lot of money, like I said last oh, time. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing. I, I mean, I mean, I have friends oh, yeah. that I personally am saving a lot of money by not spending money that I normally spend. Yeah. I mean, I have just a few hobbies, out. but just I going I out, so eating, um, driving, gas, fuel, whatever, uh, meeting with friends, going to track every now and then, you know, things like that. For me, you know, again, if you lose your job, it's a whole different thing and then you have a reduced pay or whatever. But on the personal side, basically I'm living such a modest life that it's really saving money. I mean, really, it's like you you look at your monthly expenses and it's like, Okay, well, I'm just basically staying home, you know, so. Right, if you're fortunate to not have your job right. lost or impacted by this, this is actually saving you a lot of money. Now, right. obviously, like I said, I have total empathy and sympathy for all of the people who are impacted. And the same thing, you're but, an investor. I mean, if I, I don't want to get too much into investment advice or anything because I'm not nobody to give it, but uh, I've been investing for probably 12 years now and I have enough of a market experience to see recessions and pullbacks and corrections and all that stuff and I have a few a few companies that I follow and all that stuff and you can tell that those companies are solid companies and they just because the market is down like 30% or 25% 
it's just basically buying things on sale right now. So you can actually think about this as a great opportunity to, I mean, some people that, oh, we're not at the bottom, well, you know, this or that. We could be at the bottom, but I don't want to make a huge discussion. But the bottom line is that whatever it is, is 20 to 30% cheaper than it used to be just a month ago. I'll tell you one example of a company is not investment advice whatsoever. Do not invest. Don't listen to me. Um, but that's been on my radar is Live Nation. Mm. Obviously, they make all their money doing concerts, concerts and events and, and all that. And uh, their stock has completely dropped right. out of the stratosphere. They're down right. like 60-something percent. Right. Uh, but, okay, you know, yes. Yeah, so their revenue, their earnings forecasting for this year is totally thrown off, obviously. But if you look at how the, what their earnings were for the last few years, they are pretty oper- – they have an interesting business where – uh, on the ticketing side, they basically break even. So they, they, they try not to make money on the ticketing side, but on they do advertising for all these places. They have merchandise sales and their operating margins on those are massive. I mm-hmm. mean, they have like 60% operating margins on those things. Yeah. And basically they're growing really fast. They were growing, I think, uh, like 30% year over year. They have tons of exclusivity rights with like, uh, I believe with NBA, with big uh, comedians like Joe Rogan is has mm-hmm. exclusivity. So all, and Dave right. Chappelle. Mm-hmm. So they have all these things that it's like, okay, those don't go away. People are going to go back to going to concerts and all that later. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah. people like to go out. We like to socialize. That's a stock that I was looking at. They're down 60%. But it's, the, it's not different. I mean, that's a more of a, uh, so I'm just unique. giving as an example. If right, you're right. an investor and but you're looking look at, for look at a company like Disney. I mean, Disney is one of the major... Disney's another one I was watching. Right. Because I mean, and full disclosure, I own Disney. but uh, And so do you, I think. I do too. But right. I was thinking about owning more because... Right. I mean, Disney, obviously, when they... First of all, they own a bunch of hotels and they own all the theme parks everywhere. I mean, they started taking a hit when China was the first one to close the uh, right. Shanghai But if you uh, look park. at Disney's revenue breakdown... Right. Seventy-five, Basically, 25% is parks and cruise cruises and all the physical stuff mm-hmm. but 75% is not right. and the other 75% which includes like the new Disney Plus right. and all these streaming and and shows that is all merchandise a, a big boost right and um, I think the the short term yes Disney's earnings are going to be lower this year than than last year of course most companies earnings this year Every are going to be lower gonna have that issue. but longer term the, I think the prospects are really good right well that's an example of a company that has survived yeah a century know, of, of chaos basically and they're very reliant on their theme parks and everybody remembers the theme parks and the massive people together standing in line all the stuff all the stuff is shut down hotels shut down all the stuff but like you said most of the revenue comes they own abc espn disney plus well, the event the uh the uh, marvel star wars um full transparency right fox um i I owned Disney for a long time, and then when it started reaching around 130 a share last year, I sold off most of my position because I was like, okay, I believed in the long-term prospects, but it was getting a little high for me, and I had made you know more than double my investment, so I said, okay, I'm going to cash out. But now, it's back down in the 90s, right? and I'm like, okay, exactly. maybe I'm just going to buy in again. Right, you know? and it's for something, it's not because the company financials are bad, basically it's for a third extreme situation that is affecting and in, everybody. In a world where and, and, and I think that again, media and IP has never been more valuable, right. they own all of it. <laughs> they so, own all anyways, the biggest On the property. investment side, I think is if you have the uh, money that you don't need in the next 12 months for living or something, you have money in savings and right now because the interest rates are zero, I think investing in solid companies that present low risk um, 
I think it's a good investment. I think if you're a real estate investor, there's, this is going to be an awesome opportunity too. It will be. Uh, maybe not right now, but it'll not be yet. very soon. I would, I would wait, but soon it will be. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about actually, because I saw this bubble kind of go, growing a lot, and now all of a sudden it looks like it's popping in a big way, is commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. Because you have a lot of things happening at once. First of all, big news yesterday, WeWork which is the oh. largest owner of commercial real estate in Manhattan, if people didn't know that, and has become one of the bigger commercial real estate companies in the United States and even around the world now. Uh, they obviously, I think everybody knows their fiasco from last year, but uh, SoftBank had issued them $3 billion uh, in debt, I believe, as basically a saving grace when they didn't go public because they said, okay, well, we're already massive shareholders in this company, want to keep them alive. And they pulled that money yesterday. They said, we're yeah. done. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with WeWork. Well, they own massive amounts of commercial real estate. And if they go under it, that's going to be a fire sale. Well, and I mean, with with I mean the 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 business model for those right. guys no is totally shut. their offices. I mean, it's like basically share office space. It's it's basically a office rental, executive suites rental stuff like that. Office share space. Nobody's going to work. Everybody's telecommuting now or working from home, and uh, and even when people decide to go back to work, the new normal for many corporations would be okay. We want to split the right. teams. So okay, have some people work from home just in case. I don't know people like a little redundancy. That so was nobody my gets my question. So I already thought the commercial real estate bubble was way overinflated already i this has caused i think is going to cause it to completely pop um because the biggest question is and i have my thoughts but i want to hear yours is okay after this is over will the commercial real estate market bounce back are people gonna or our office is gonna our company's gonna start realizing hey you know what we don't need these major leases or like you said maybe uh half of our workforce doesn't need to be in well the that office. already happened um after the recession, a lot of companies that were paying huge amounts of money for, you know, um, office space, rentals, I mean, huge buildings, um, they already started allowing their, in fact, they had incentives for their employees to work from home. So they wouldn't like, like there were situations where they had an office in some kind of flashy building, a whole floor for maybe 50 people, but they actually employed a hundred. And those 100 people had to share cubes and, and office space. So they had turns or, or shifts where this person will go um, three days a week, this other person will go three days a week, and they share the same cube, the same space. So they were actually maximizing that. But uh, I think now it's going to be even more extreme as far as, again, it's not going to go rapidly back to, okay, but it goes back to work. But also companies are going to realize Maybe it's not so bad if people start telecommuting. It's the same thing that we discussed with schools, which is a whole colleges, which is a whole different discussion. But I think a lot of things will change to reduce expenses, to reduce risk, to reduce everything. Because those people that were not, or companies that were not equipped to allow their employees to work from home for a lot of reasons, basically having a laptop versus a desktop computer, having all the security in place as far as logging in, and uh, sometimes they require people to have a dedicated um internet line that is secure versus or VPN or something like that versus just the traditional, you know, cable that you get in your house. So a lot of those things had to be in place. But once companies are forced to do that, they will not see, they will not see a reason to go back. You know, they will downsize for sure. I'm not sure they will eliminate because a lot of people and companies like this kind of community uh, behavior or having Right, I'm not saying offices are going to go away. Right. But, but they, I think that... I think that the commercial real estate markets could see a drop in prices of 
easily 20 30% and, and, and I don't think that's going to recover so quick. And the same thing for retail. I mean, a lot of retail stores are going to realize that. Yeah, well, that's another DTC topic that, that we're talking is especially is uh I I I follow retail a lot because it's such an interesting you know, cuz obviously we we don't work so much with retail. We do mostly e-commerce. But even if you're in e-commerce, you have to have your uh, uh, a pulse on the retail space because that affects so much. At the end of the day, now that number is going to change. But last year, 85% of consumer spending still happened in retail. Right. Um, and so you still have to have your pulse on retail. I think that I I don't know what the new normal is going to be. As well, far but, as retail. but you do like know malls that were already in trouble are. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more mall closures this year than we've seen in the last decade, just because most of them are, are debt financed and all of the stores are shut down. All of the malls are shut down. And I think we're going to see a major uh, kind of, in, as far as you talk about uh, contained crises within certain sectors, I think the mall sector is going to totally collapse. That's honestly. huge space. Other than the few malls that are more experienced based and maybe a little more premium um, and I have like not all malls are going to go away and there's some malls that actually do really well still but I think a lot of the malls that were kind of just barely hanging on are going to collapse not just the malls but also independent independent retail stores uh, we, we, we talked to a lot of companies that are on the verge or on the fence versus DTC versus going retail and trying to put their products on, on a big box like a Macy's or this is fashion or, or Walmart or whatever. And now they're realizing why do I spend so much money and effort trying to sell at this particular store when it's closed? Basically, I did all this marketing driving my traffic and my customers to Bed Bath & Beyond and it's closed or Walmart is still open, but any other type of retail store that is now closed, and you say, when I can do the same thing and invest the same money to sell directly to the consumer, my profit margin is higher. So if I take that advertising money and I put it into developing my own direct-to-consumer solution or option, I'm going to compensate that because I'm going to advertise that and then my margins will be higher. So you control your product from, from the production stages all the way to the distribution and selling. So... I think that is going to make a lot of companies decide, and we have some examples decide, okay, I'm going to sell directly to consumer because I, can always, I cannot always rely on the stores. For one, you have limited control on where they put your product. They usually control their prices and they oscillate your prices up and down depending on supply and demand, and you are at the mercy of their advertising as well. So yes, but obviously the biggest thing, the most important thing that you mentioned is the distribution. Right. That's their advantage. Is that of they course. Have the distribution. But that's when you getting the type of distribution, like you said, Macy's. Okay, if you get nationwide into Macy's, replicating that type of distribution D to C is a incredible task. It's difficult, of course. I'm not saying that people shouldn't go for it, but I but don't you know. know. You I know mean, how many Macy's stores are closing now? Oh, all of them. I, I mean, I mean, well, I, not not just now because of the it's oh, the it's pandemic. funny because I was driving. But how around. many that were closing before already? Well, they I was driving around the other day, and our local it was so almost ominous because I drove past uh, our local J.C. Penney's oh, parking lot shut down. Yeah. completely empty. Uh, I drove past just a bunch of retailers, and they yeah. were just empty, and it was yeah. really ominous. And I was like, 
you know, JCPenney laid off all of their, or furloughed all of their workers. I think Kohl's did as well. Mm-hmm. I th- did Macy's do it too? I don't know in all the states, but they um, have, they have clo- obviously but, all the New York's and all the stuff are closed. I don't know. I <clears> think <throat> that, I think that a lot of retail stores that were kind of hanging on, uh, barely, this is going to cause a ton of them. But I, I mean, I don't want to sound too pessimistic on this. It's actually a good thing. I mean, consumers now that are by choice, by no choice. I mean, basically by well, by law, basically in home arrest to to just put it in one way in some places, either voluntary or or mandatory. Basically, they cannot leave their homes. I, I so uh, other than buying food, you can't even do anything that is or going to the bank, any any other retail shopping you cannot do. So they're forced into buying online. That's what we we're talking about Amazon and other stuff. But well, I thought that retail would turn into was all it was already. In fact, it's funny because in January I wrote about uh, before this all happened in our in my weekly newsletter, um, Postmates was really trying to grow its retail side of things. Cause obviously Postmates mostly delivers from restaurants and stuff like that, but they were really trying to partner with retailers so that it's, if you buy something online, like for example, from a JC Penney's, instead of having to get it shipped to you and take days and compete directly with Amazon, they can literally grab that unit from your local JC Penney's and get it to you in two hours, like two hour right. delivery, right? Which no one, no Amazon even can't compete with that, right. uh, especially on like fashion and things like that. And so I already thought that was going to happen. Now, whether it would be Postmates or DoorDash or Uber or whoever, that that last mile infrastructure was really going to be built out where you go online to buy things and they take from the local retail inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was going to happen anyways. I just think that this is going to majorly accelerate that to where right. retail and, and stores act primarily actually as distribution centers for online purchases rather than uh, point of sales, basically. Revenue, instead of acting as revenue drivers, they more are acting as distribution and, centers. And the other thing, I mean, for it doesn't, it's not like one uh, trend applies to everybody. Obviously, we know clothing and fashion and apparel, stuff like that is, is very difficult because you have sizes and colors and people like to, they need to try things on. So it's a little more difficult when people buy clothing online and then chances of fitting you perfectly is very hard. I mean, everybody goes to a store like a Macy's or whatever they go and they grab like three or four different options, sizes, colors, look at the mirror, fitting room, blah, blah, they pick on one. Buying those things online is a little more difficult. So I would see um, people still go into stores and that's why they skew the numbers on online retailers. Yeah, but that's retailers. why they offer free returns. And all right, that. they offer free returns. Some, some, some companies actually offer you to, to get like two or three sizes and then return the ones that you don't like. You know, they, they have those offers and then they're gonna to have to adapt um, because it's very hard. I mean, and then uh, even the sizes are not standard. I mean, a lot of things you buy that you say, okay, I'm usually a medium or a large, and then you buy something that is medium or large, and it's either over too large or too small. It's, it's kind of hard, you know, even for shoes and everything else. So those things. Yeah, they I have mean, this- the, the biggest challenge in fashion, and I admire so much the people who work on the operation side of fashion because the, the I can't imagine the inventory. Headaches is an understatement that you go through uh, because I've seen it firsthand and it's just the truth is it's so funny with fashion that uh, a lot of companies a lot of companies in fashion will have the best marketing the best branding and they'll lose because they don't have the best supply chain people right and supply chain 
operations and people who are able to really manage inventory extremely well in fashion are the ones who win. And I think it's one of the most underrated things because people think when people think fashion, they think all it's all marketing and brand. And obviously that's a major part of it. But a lot of people on the outside do not look at the inventory management of fashion, which is so and, and difficult. Having, having flexible uh, return policies and just just make it frictionless for a customer. But all those things eat in a margin. That's the right, thing. Right. That's why I think we've seen, if you look at uh, inflation for fashion brands, as far as, because there's this, there's obviously there's the, you know, generic cheaper brands, right? That, that sell for cheap. And then you have the uh, high-end luxury that sell a $500 shirt or whatever. But then you have this very large category where you've seen a lot of companies pop up like an Everlane, uh, which unfortunately had to lay off a lot of people this past week and lots of D2Cs where they pop up in this, I, I don't know what you would call it exactly, but kind of, uh, premium mid-market, not luxury as far as like super high-end trying to compete with the uh, the Gucci and Ferragamos and all of those guys, but not, you know, cheap. And that, but I think we've seen inflation on the prices of that mid-market because they offer all these concessions so that, okay, we'll send, maybe we'll send you multiple sizes, like you said, or mm -hmm. maybe uh, we offer free returns, but all those things cost money. Okay. Right. So if you're offering free returns, that return, you have to pay the shipping for that, or right. you have to pay, you know, all those things cost money. And so because of that, a shirt, a, a premium, let's say premium quality men's collared shirt that normally maybe you could sell for a hundred dollars. Now they sell for 140 because they have all these extra costs in place, not to mention the massive competition and customer acquisition costs going up. And I think that we've seen a lot of inflation in the pricing in that end. But now I think a lot of people are saying, you know what? I don't need a $140 dress shirt right now. I'm good with the $60 one mm -hmm. uh, that I can buy on Amazon or something like that. Right. So I don't know what's going to happen, especially in the mid-market fashion. I think that's a category that could be majorly affected by this uh, because of just the logistical issues combined with people and, and saving technology money. will help too. There's, 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 um, uh, you know, like um, AR type applications now yeah, where you I just can think actually. We're still far away from that. We are, but really for fashion, good. they have like, like for example, like I said, you you normally use a, a large size for a t-shirt or something, but then you put your actual measurements. You say, okay, measure so the shoulder chest, whatever it is, they will tell you. No, I mean, the, the the algorithm will tell you, okay, well, for our size, it's going to be a medium or an extra large or whatever, based on your actual dimensions, you know? So, like, I mean, you know that, you see that in Amazon when people have all these shirts and then most of them from all places come from China and China has notoriously small sizes. So when they say something is large for an American size, it's like a small. And everybody complains and you see the comments and saying, and even they have the description saying American sizes order two sizes larger for some reason. So um, so when the shirt comes with an L, meaning large, for an American size, it's actually a small or a medium. So and that's just kind of like a little patchwork. People say, oh, I ordered this size and I'm one 150 pounds and you know six four whatever you know um so but ar will solve that it's not really here yet but i think in the future it will yeah, be something that but that's not something that right now is going to be a solution no it's not companies. it's not but well you talk about amazon i think amazon because amazon's really trying to push their way into fashion 
into what I'm talking about, the, the premium mid-market and even luxury fashion. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to lose. I don't think that they're going to win because first of all, they try to make partnerships. I mean, Nike left. Nike is an example of the premium mid-market. Yeah. Um, and they left. Um, they tried making a deal with LVMH who owns like Louis Vuitton and lots of other luxury brands. Uh, they said no. They basically said, no, we're not going to work with Amazon. Um, I think that f- Amazon's not going to win because... Uh, especially the, the the more premium fashion, uh, Amazon is not. They're a they're working retailers. more. They're working more with um, celebrities on things like that. Yeah, but like- just because you have celebrities doesn't mean that you have uh, a premium brand, right? A no. luxury brand, right. especially. They're trying to yeah. They're, they're, they're trying, and I think that normally when I see Amazon get in a new category, I'm worried for the competitors because like, mm, it's tough to compete with Amazon. Mm-hmm. In fashion, I'm not worried because, first of all, I think Amazon's going to lose a bunch of money because of the exact logistical reasons that I said. Amazon has, and it's done well for them so far, but in fashion, it's going to kill their margins because they have super super generous return policies. So you could return something three times on clothing if it doesn't fit you and they'll pay for it and not cost you any money at all. It'll all be free. If you don't think that's going to cost them a ton of money, you're crazy. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, I just think that they're not going to get the luxury brands to want to go on Amazon. We no, already I seen the luxury, luxury brands, brands say no. Luxury brands almost see Amazon like a diluting their brand. Yeah. I mean, and they prefer not to be there. Why for one, they, they don't control anything. I mean, basically Amazon is there and they put them in the middle of a other brands that are not so well known so and the customer the ui yeah. is identical whether you're buying some generic item or whether right. you're buying louis vuitton right. and that's not what they want okay they want louis vuitton to have the louis vuitton experience right and so that's why lvmh said no we're not going to i, I would Amazon. probably see more some of the, those brands selling like not fba like basically fulfilled by them or something just using amazon as a marketplace to list their products no, or they something. definitely would not no but, they, they said no they're not going to do it because amazon is too dilutive to brands and again as we've talked many times amazon wants all control of right. all data, all customer experience. Right. And if that is the key part. And, and in the case, if, if you already, Amazon is advantageous if you don't have a well-known name yet, because it can get in front of you in front of a lot of customers. But if you already are Louis Vuitton, why do you need Amazon? Right. You're, that's the same you're thing just giving say, them a cut for no reason. It's the same reason. thing that I tell hotels and hospitality with the OTS, with the online travel agencies. You want the online travel agency to get you the customer that is used to price shopping and comparing prices and all that stuff and that's fine you're paying them up to 30 percent commission or whatever depending on the property but then once the customer comes to your property you better work hard to get that customer to be your customer because up until then you don't own that customer the ota owns it but then once they come to your property if they don't come back to you booking directly through you and all that stuff that's your that's your fault so you already paid the 30 percent commission so now get that customer so it's similar in amazon or with amazon with with retailer staff. So, but let's, um, so we're talking at the beginning about the new normal stuff. Um, what are you doing these days that is different than you used to do before? Aside from working out like a maniac now, you see how you're going bulky. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, I mean, honestly, uh, reading more for sure. That's been one thing where I, I used to read a lot. I used to love reading, but it's just hard when you're busy to really sit down and read. And to be honest, I I use the excuse of not having time. But a lot of times, because reading is one of those things that you got to really sit down and do. And it's so easy. And I'm totally guilty of this of like, okay, I could spend, you know, 
this hour before bed reading or I could just be on my phone or something or whatever. I know, you know? the phone is a big destruction. And so now that I have more time, I'm not using that excuse. I've been reading. I, I try now that I have so much more time to spend at least an hour a day reading. Some days, the other day, I spent like almost three hours reading and it's it's really nice actually, especially because uh, like we talked a little about last week and kind of re reflecting. Um, there's certain, especially on the business side, there's certain uh, uh, pivots that we may have to make that a lot of businesses may have to make. Which is good. Yeah. But that I don't necessarily, you know, like I told you last week, like I was saying that I'm someone who always has a bias for action, which in most cases is good. I'm always like, oh, I just want to go, go, go. But right now, I just don't know. I have ideas but of what we could do, but I'm like, mm, I don't know exactly how to go about this. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly the strategy that I want to use. Uh, and so I just have said, okay, well, why don't I just really try to learn and think? And so especially on the media side, because, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the shift in uh, that I think basically the next Dior, the next nike and adidas the next all of these types of brands that are being built now are going to be media first companies right whereas the model used to always mm -hmm. be you create the products and the brands and then use media to promote them i think you create the media brand mm -hmm. and then build that, yeah. products around it and build right. brands around it and so i'm trying to but how do you build something like that and i'm trying to think i'm trying to learn i, I don't know i have ideas but i don't know exactly how to go start and how I want to start. So I've been reading books. Um, like I'll, I'll give you a few, it, just if people want, if people have time, they want to read. I've been reading, uh, who is Michael Ovitz, which came out last year, uh, which is basically Michael Ovitz, founder of CAA, the biggest, uh, creative artist agency, the biggest Hollywood agency. Um, uh, it's pretty good so far. I'm about halfway through. I'll probably finish it within a couple days. Um, I've been reading, um, uh, what's it called? People as Media, which is like a really yeah. small book. Uh, very few people have heard it. You can look up. I think it actually sold out on Amazon, and it's not even on Kindle, so I don't know. But it's if you can find it, read it. Um, it's called People as Media, um, and it's really good. And it was it, this person was really ahead of their time. I forget the name of the author. We can put it in the show notes. But uh, uh, the book came out I think like 15 years ago. He was talking about this exact concept of people as media. Um, and basically exactly the things that we talk about here, but 15 years ago. Uh, and so I've just been reading a lot on that. I've been reading, there's some really great bloggers out there that write really mm -hmm. great stuff. Um, so I've just been spending a lot of time thinking, honestly, yeah, no, and good. just trying to learn and, and decide on the next steps. Really. I've, um, you know, it's funny when they say social distance, I actually realized that I, I'm spending less time on social media. Not that I was much of a social media, uh, person before. But now it's so saturated with everything with it. And then you get all this primarily bad news because that's what people read all the time and share and all that stuff. That I'm actually doing more social distance with social media as far as uh, I, do, I do a quick look in the morning and then another quick look in the evening. But in, during the day, I stay away from the Twitters and the Instagrams and all that stuff. I'm, I never well, do. You know, I've broken a bad habit. I never that I even had. do Facebook. Um, my, my morning routine used to be wake up check email and then after check email I would check Twitter yeah and I've broken the Twitter part because 
I was just like, well, do I really want to read about like coronavirus first thing I in the know. morning? That's the so I actually broke that habit that I had for a long time. It wasn't a good habit. That's my, that's my social distance more than, I mean, obviously we go social distance when it's really more like physical distance. I mean, you can still be social with your friends and talk to them and text them on Facebooks. I mean, like uh, Instagram live or um, Facebook live or, or uh, FaceTime, whatever, you know, the WhatsApp. I do a lot of WhatsApp with my friends, especially the ones in Europe, and we do video conversations all the time, you know. But um, as far as social media per se, like, yeah, I, I have a much more social distance with social media because it's just overwhelming. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody's criticizing everything, and it just gets into this negative spiral where nobody has good news or anything and it's like okay just let's relax you know let's move over you know so that's one of the things that i'm doing less um on the other hand i'm also doing a lot of thinking and i'm reading i mean i'm, I'm an avid reader so I, that hasn't changed for me i still have my habits of reading a little bit in the morning and then in the evenings so um i'm basically continuing that it hasn't changed what i'm doing a lot now is listening to many more uh, podcasts um to the point that i have a i mean i i have some that i always listen to and i have a variety of topics i mean some of them are sports related which now obviously they don't have much sports to talk about um some of those are business podcasts others are like like i like formula one racing and all that stuff um others are just lifestyle podcasts and things so i you know typically listen to i'm listening to another podcast with a, a doctor is um um i think the title of the podcast is the uh the drive with uh, peter atia and uh, he's a doctor and um, i follow him and uh, he's more into a longevity hacks and things like that but uh he obviously has had very good doctors and virologists and people that actually are reliable sources explaining their thoughts and opinions on the development of the uh, uh, coronavirus. Beep. Yeah, I just said it. Um, oh, I was going to say, we're way over on the coronavirus I know, I talk. Know. Uh, we've talked without mentioning the name. But anyways, he, he has very good doctors that you can trust. It's not like the Joe Small making an opinion, you know. So they give you different points of views. And obviously, him being a doctor, he also asks very... Um, unique questions that are very educated uh, questions from his doctor point of view. So I've listened to him, Joe Rogan. Obviously, he's good. He has always comedians and stuff, and they have um, lifestyle things. James Altucher, I also like. He has he's an entrepreneurial guy that has gone through ups and downs in business and life, and he has usually pretty good guests. Um, also, so I don't know. I I just try to um, stay away from the topic, even though it's very difficult these days. But um, also try to keep a clear mind and and the main thing to me is that i'm always optimistic and every day i think that we're closer to the end which is basically true whatever that end is and um you know like you said the new normal is like okay yeah in the beginning it's like oh fuck what's going on here everything's coming down or whatever and then you kind of start getting used to it and it shows you how much how much ability humans in general have to adapt you know, like when it's something like a new thing, it's like, oh, shoot. But then you kind of start adapting. And, and uh, I mean, here in Arizona, we're lucky. We can normally leave the home and go do this and that and all that stuff up until like recently, even though now we have a little more restrictions. But even when we were free to do whatever we wanted, I actually tried to avoid um, possible situations where I would come in contact with a person that maybe was uh with coronavirus or something so i was fine just staying home and doing my thing you know so i don't know i think i think it gives you a chance to um reflect and think you know what if i can go out it's not so bad i i obviously i'm older so i grew up in a 
in a house where we don't have 20 channels of TV or 40 or Netflix or Amazon Primes or, or Yards or anything. So uh, I d- I it was more of my normal upbringing. You know, I do so. think that the new normal, and I don't know, I don't know. I, it's too soon to tell what major behavioral changes will happen. But I do think the new normal hopefully will be that people do save more money and are less... I think materialism will go down a bit. That's another point I was going to say. Because I think people say. are going to be less focused on materialistic goods and more things that matter. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to go away. Humans are always going to be materialistic. But it's, it's funny because but, remember you and I were talking about being more of a minimalist or uh, yeah, minimalistic or I minimalist. Think minimalist is the wrong term. <clears throat> I, I know. I'm personally not a fan of minimalism. I think uh, it's a cop out. Well, I mean, it's a different topic. But yeah, but uh, but, but I mean, I mean, when you and I have a lot of but friends. But focusing more on what matters. Right. On the, I mean, I, it's fine to get things or have this kind of lifestyle, but then everybody progresses. And I used to own a lot of things that they were good by the time I bought them or I got them for whatever reason. But then you stop using them. I don't care if it's clothing or toys or tools or gadgets or whatever. And then it's good to kind of take inventory of the stuff that you don't use and just either sell it or donate it or get rid of it. But, you know, you realize that you start accumulating stuff. And then I I have a lot of, I mean, from paying like $150 a month in a storage unit where I had junk, not junk per se, but things that I never used and I will never use again. Right. Yet I was paying $150 a month. And then I realized I'm paying 100 bucks a month, $150 a month for something that I will never use. So if you remember about last year or maybe two years ago, I said, fuck it, I'm just going to get rid of all that stuff. So I went there, I emptied everything. We sold things right away to people that actually may need them for a very good deal. And when I sell things, I'm not trying to make money. I'm just trying to get rid of them so I don't have to go somewhere and do something, you know. Or if I can donate them, I donate them to somebody else, to like Goodwill or something. But then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I freed up $150 a month for something that I'm never going to use. And if you have a couple of things that you're going to use in the future, you use them. But the bottom line is that you haven't used something for like a year, chances are you're not going to use it again. You know, so now I'm happy that I don't have all those things, you know, and, and simplify my life as much as possible. I, I have two, three things that I like, and they actually make me enjoy every day, whether it's hobbies or cars or in the garage, or I'm building now a, a little worker area in the back here, like a little mini gym, something. But, you know, then you realize I'm, I'm, I'm happy with all the stuff that I got rid of because I don't actually miss it, you know. So I'm not sure you want to call it minimalism or whatever, but it's just basically you you add one thing resetting and you get, priorities. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like it's like you know it's like you have a backpack and you're always hiking or something. You have a limited space to carry stuff with you. So obviously you decide to carry something else. You need to carry something else that you're not going to be able to fit. So I kind of use that analogy all the time because if you go on a hiking trip and you can take maybe a spare set of clothes and a jacket and a water and a tool, like a multi-knife, whatever, you take all these things that you think you're going to use and all of a sudden you say, oh, I'm going to take also this other camera or this other thing just in case or whatever. Okay, well, you have limited space. So you add something else, you need to get rid of something else. But that's kind of like the the philosophy, you know. So uh, that applies to everything in life. I mean, it's not different in business or, or whatever. You need to keep progressing. And every time you add something, you need to also delete something that you're not using. So we are very good at adding more stuff to our lives, but not so good at eliminating things from our lives, right. you know. So anyways, I mean, that that's kind of uh, <coughs> something that I've been uh, thinking about now. And uh, 
And honestly, I'm, I'm happy because I've been doing that for the last, you know, 12 to 18 months. And now I'm happy that I did it because it's kind of like much simpler, you know, monthly bills and things like that too. So, All right. Well, I think uh, it's about time to wrap up. What yeah, think? I think it's good. Any, um, any other thoughts? I mean, I, I, one thing I do miss myself personally is um, I'm a big race fan on oh yeah i mean for me it's nba and, stuff. and there's no nba but this is I, like peak time mm, of year we're going into playoffs and it uh, and no but, but i you miss it i mean you you like to play basketball too yourself you know and and you play the yard or something or the parks or whatever but uh, i miss not being able to go to i mean like i go to the local racetrack worker track like almost weekly and then every now and then i go to a big track with a car and then race to another stuff and that stuff i miss because to me it's like a real mental relief you know to just go there and forget everything and just drive fast and enjoy the sport that i that i really uh, uh love and um so that part i'm missing um obviously all the sports on tv as well it's kind of like uh and that's one thing that people are talking about when the nba is coming back or if it's coming back or the nfl and all the stuff americans love sports i mean when like when we had the 9-11 yeah it was a catastrophe and it was a huge deal for the country but at least we had sports that were taking our money away from the uh, distress and all that yeah. and now we don't even have that we don't even have social life or anything like that so yeah, that's like, part of I, that is missing I, I'm a very uh, how do you say it like almost to a fault hyper rational person like I'm a super pragmatist when it comes to things uh, I don't let emotions cloud my judgment in life yeah. or at least I do my absolute best not to but in sports I say that sports is my outlet for that because in sports, I'm the opposite. I'm completely irrational mm-hmm. and I'll be emotional over right. but because it doesn't matter because there's no consequences. And that happens to a lot of people. And so I'll, I'm okay being emotional about, you know, like I'm a Suns fan being, uh, you know, from Phoenix in basketball and they suck. And yes, it, it will emotionally affect me more when the Suns lose than when I lose like a deal in a company b- business yeah, life, yeah, you no, know, and it's like, because there it's almost like an outlet for, okay, I can be emotional and irrational here because it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think it's like everything, like it, people have their outlets and when yeah. you're dealing with stress and then you don't have that outlet, and that's you. one of the, the reasons why I think the president or Trump wants to get back to normal as soon as possible. He shoots his something mouth all the time. Like he puts, he says, oh, by April 15th, we're going to go back to normal. It'll be a beautiful thing to go to church and all that stuff. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Tremendous. Tremendous, fantastic, all that. But uh, now he's at the end of April. He's just trying to motivate the country, I think. I think he sometimes he backfires, obviously, because people quote him and then they say oh you said this and that but i think he's just trying to keep the people keep people motivated to say hey we're working hard on this thing finally and then we're going to do whatever we can and then soon whenever it is we're going to be together and join the things that we like whether it's going to church or sports or whatever we'll reopen the country for everything so one final note for me is um you know obviously we know how much we owe to doctors, nurses, everybody in the medical community right now. They are working like freaking overtime just to take care of that stuff. But at the same time, there's a lot of minimal or uh, minimum wage workers that are paying, are being paid like twelve, fourteen, fifteen dollars an hour, and we're, you know, they were fighting for that minimum wage to be increased and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, you realize how much we depend on them. These are the guys that are actually working at Amazon warehouses or supermarkets or bagging clothes. All the stores that remain open, the majority of the workers there are only making $12, $13, $14, $15 an hour. And so I think that these are credit too because 
we were always complaining about minimum wage and all the stuff. And, and honestly, I was part of that too, saying, okay, well, if you only, you don't have any education or anything, you know, you need to just be paid what you're worth, you know, for the company. But at the same time, you know, in situations like this, those are the guys that are keeping the country alive right now, that kept keeping the country going. You go to a store and you have these cashiers registers, people stocking food and organizing things or whatever. And uh, uh, any stores, I mean, Amazon workers, drivers, deliveries, all that stuff, which is basically keeping us going. So, a little bit of a shout out to them just for uh, all what they do. And one other note I'll say is um, if you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you're not heavily impacted by this, or especially financially, uh, I would encourage people to give back or help others in any way. Like even if it's a little thing, like helping someone pay for their groceries or things like that. Right. Just, you know, people just a lot of people are just out of jobs right now. You know, I personally have like helped a few people pay some bills, like medical bills and stuff. Mm -hmm. And just because I'm not super financially impacted by this, so because of that, I want to help people who and, are, and the same thing we're talking the other day. You get any money from the stimulus package that is going to come to pretty much every yeah. If you American. get the money and you don't need it. Right. It's not a. It would be a real nice thing if you could help other if, people. Who if do. you can help other people that you know, I mean, not just throwing the money to charity or something, but uh, anybody that you know personally that say, okay, this guy has been hard hit. He was doing very well. He's working very hard, and now all of a sudden everything came to a screeching halt. And you get this kind of stimulus money, whether it's the full check or a partial check or something, and you say, you know what? I'm going to give it to this person. That person will be grateful for life because you're helping somebody actually make it. And I think it's the right thing to do. So, anyways, that's just uh, my opinion. I think um, I think we'll be we'll be doing well. We'll be um, um, recovering for sure. I think um, I'm actually, like I said, I'm optimistic. I mean, it's, this is probably a good test for all of us to to test our 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 endurance, our chance to reflect, to learn from this, do better in the future, and especially for companies to be more self-sufficient, uh, less reliant on you know other countries' manufacturing and everything else, and uh, become more anti-fragile than we'd like to be um, in the future. As yeah, we can talk about that on another episode. Right. It's a bigger topic. But. Right, exactly. So everything is good. So anything else, uh, David? That's it for me. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much, and uh, thanks for sticking with us, and... We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.